Recorded live from a place where the names have no streets, this is Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her, and that's pretty much it for this week. Amy Stevens is not here. She's off in New York City, lying in a bed someplace in Harlem, recovering from having her face rearranged professionally rearranged though uh she has just had facial feminization surgery and congratulations amy you were gorgeous before this i can't wait to see how you look after the bruises heal and your face stops swelling because right now she's lying there and she's got these bandages all over her face i i don't have bandages on my face i do have a well i in the evening i have a cpap that now covers my face because I've been diagnosed with what's it called um I have moderate sleep apnea is what I have and so I now have this brand new highly interactive data transmitting CPAP machine that's tracking my progress it's a lot different from my brother's uh my brother was diagnosed with sleep apnea decades ago and so his is nowhere near as interactive as mine and also compared to my sister-in-law's uncle bob's uh when one of my brother's daughters got married one of my nieces got married uh you know everybody went and i kind of shared a bedroom with uncle bob and he brought in this suitcase sized thing that was so old it was made out of the beige plastic that they used to make computers out of and the differences between that one and what I have now are just amazing uh, it tracks what I do it monitors me not only that it sends the information back to my doctor the people the technicians who monitor to make sure everything's working and my insurance company which is kind of my my CPAP has a uh, a better phone plan than I do, and and that stuff is kind of in person to see how well I'm doing, and also because my insurance will only pay for this CPAP machine if I use it successfully for more than five hours a night. I think for like six nights a week. That's important because. Um, they've discovered that that's how much I need to use the CPAP in order for it to be effective in fighting my sleep apnea. So that's kind of important. Um, but the thing that gets me about it is the technology. The, it also has an app that I have on my phone that tracks all this stuff and, and lets me know about it. And it's set up sort of like the way the fitness watches are it gives me all the data how long i've had it on how many incidents per hours if i take the mask off if it's properly sealed all that stuff and it aggregates this score and then it displays it as a circle so every night i get a certain number of points out of 100 and an encouraging message for it it's a learning process i have uh only gotten five hours out of that thing once and I've been wearing it for about a week and there's like a 90 day getting used to it period where I a grace period where I have to I, I get to ramp up to that you know five hours a night which makes sense because there's so many important things and there's so many useful things about this CPAP machine you know it it will 
keep me alive. You know, I, I have sleep apnea. It runs in my family. Also, what runs in my family is heart disease. And they found that sleep apnea and heart disease don't match, don't really go well. My brother has, has a CPAP. He also uh, had a heart attack in his 50s. Uh, my dad had a heart attack and died in his 50s. Uh, I, we don't know if he had sleep apnea. I don't even know if sleep apnea was something that was diagnosed in the 70s when he died, but he snored. He snored like, you know, cartoon Hanna-Barbera, you know, sawing woods kind of snore, you know, wet, rattling the windows, snoring. So there's probably a chance that that he had that. So they, I have the heart disease. My my, my bro- like I said, my brother and my father both had heart attacks in their 50s while playing volleyball, um, which to me, I think mostly is a way of the universe saying my family shouldn't play volleyball in their 50s, which is why I don't play volleyballs. Instead, I ride bicycles up mountains because no one in my family has died from that. I figure I'm going to live forever. So I've got this CPAP machine and I'm doing all this stuff to, to be able to pay for it and to keep me alive. And do you think that is the big driver for me to get that five hours of sleep a night? No, it is not. It is the fucking circle on my app that tells me where it is that just pushes my competition button so hard. It's like, I don't care if I die as long as I get that 100, as long as I get that score. And that really bothers me about myself and by uh, in society as a whole, that we are so competitive. And I think here in the United States, more than most places, it, it drives just about everything. You know, presidential elections, you see people and the way they talk about it, it's like a sports team with their sides going to win as opposed to what might be best for the, the country. And it's everywhere. Um, my daughter, let's take her, for example. Um, she loves the great British baking show. She watches it a lot and she is right now kind of binge watching it. And because I really don't care what's on the TV all that much, you know, while she's watching and I'm watching and I'm getting kind of invested in it. And I tell you, it's a really sweet show. I mean, the, the people who are on it, it is obvious that the, the, the competitors, the bakers who are working for this prize just love each other. There's so much care and love and encouragement between each other and and my daughter is who watches this but doesn't watch the american version it's like that's not like that at all the american version i haven't seen it all so i'm only going by what she talks about but i am familiar with the american styled reality competition show where it is extremely cutthroat probably because there's a cash prize for it you know, whatever it is, ten thousand, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, whoever, what it is, they don't have that on the baking show. There's these people who are like turning their lives around for a week uh, and in this intense competition and all they get is the recognition for it, which maybe that's why it is. I don't know. I like it better. I love this idea. Everybody is so gentle 
on this. I mean, even their terror, Master Baker, Paul Hollywood, love that name, Paul Hollywood. It's a name that, you know, if they, someone wrote it in a script, that's like, you can't call someone Paul Hollywood. But anyhow, he, you know, he's demanding, but he's not like this get in your face, scream at you, swear at you, belittle you kind of guy. He just, he doesn't even raise his voice. You know, he's this beautiful English dialect voice. And, it, and he just kind of stares, bemused at you with those, those piercing liquid blue eyes that you could just lose yourself in. I'm also realizing that I have a crush on Paul Hollywood. He is, in my estimations, just gorgeous. He's, he's a snack. He's a snack who can bake a snack. What is better than that? Anyway, uh, so last night, one of the co-hosts was counting down they, one of the timed events that I get like two and a half or four and a half, different lengths of time for each challenge that they have to do. And they count out, you know, you have two hours left, you have an hour, five minutes, one minute sort of stuff. And then they count down at the end. And as she was doing that, it was obvious that one of the bakers was like 99.99% finished with what they were doing. And they were trying to get one little fiddly bit to set. And so... The co-host like vamped on the countdown. It was like five. Uh, five is spelled F-I-V-E, by the way, and like just did like thirty seconds of bullshit while she watched this other baker so that she could get it. So by the time you know everyone stopped, she was finished. And we were watching this, and my daughter just comments, you know, that would never happen on the American show. They have this really loud horn, and everybody has to stop as soon as you hear it. And you know, that that kind of focus on just winning, on being competitive and on, you know, winning by any means and the, the loss of humanity that you get from that, you know, it's it's making me realize how much I inadvertently put myself in competition with others. Even in something that is supposed to be as supportive as the transgender community, you know, I, I get jealous when I am on Twitter, especially because I have so many people that I follow who are transgender, what they call trans Twitter. And so every day when I am looking at my feed, I see all these pic these beautiful women posting these gorgeous pictures of themselves with usually with captains like, I feel hideous today, and I'm sitting there thinking, bitch, I would take your hideous over my beautiful in a New York minute. And I'm jealous of them because they get more followers than me. I, I, I get jealous. Hell, I get jealous when they get harassed more than me, which, because the way I set myself on social media rarely happens, Yet still, even though I have protected myself from chasers and turfs, when they comment about this and the other trans people offer messages of support, it's like, damn, am I not transing right? How come they trans so much better than me? You know, it, you know there are, th this makes me keep forgetting uh, about the things that I'm doing, the 
the things I do, the, the good that I'm doing in, in the world and for my, myself. I have, a, I have breasts now. That's a big one. It's a big two. You know, friends got together and got me a gift certificate for bras at one of the best lingerie shops in the area. These are women who have volunteered to go with me and help me because I have breasts and they want me to have that feminine experience. I also got a gift certificate from someone else to get my nails done. And then there was this, I, on Facebook, I get these ads for mod cloth and there was this one dress. I was like, oh my God. I love that. And I just like posted some shit about, you know, I, I can't wait for there to be a, a, a time when I can, you know, go out and it's where I can go to an event where I can, you know, justify buying this dress that I really can't afford. And somebody out of the blue just sent me, they, they Venmoed me or PayPal'd me the money and said, get the dress. They wanted nothing back from me except to, to make me happy, to see the joy, to, to help me live my authentic life. I have these wonderful friends. And still, you know, I'm trying very hard. I am so happy for Amy. I am, I am beyond joyful for her. She's getting to do something that is really reaffirming and life-sustaining because oh my god dysphoria is is a killer it, it and it is chronic it really never goes away i i don't think especially when you transition as late as i do and maybe even amy does where we've had all this testosterone coursing through our bodies for so many years testosterone poisoning is often a phrase that is used and so you know, looking at myself in the mirror and moving through the world and seeing the reactions of people, it's painful. It is literally, it is a chronic pain. And so things like facial feminization surgery are not vanity things. These are things that make our lives less painful. It is no different for us than a surgical procedure to help somebody with a with a hip problem. Because anybody who's lived with chronic pain says, you just start living with it. It makes your life miserable. It makes you exhausted. It makes you feel like you don't want to do things. And any chance that you can get to stop that chronic pain, to make it go away, if you're not in whole, at least in part, you, you jump at. And facial feminization for anybody with dysphoria, like I have, is, is a lifesaver. And I am trying very hard to, to keep my joy for Amy, my joy for all these other people who are living their authentic lives, finally, over the raging anger and despair and fucking jealousy that I feel because they're getting it. They're getting something that they want that I want to, but they're getting it and I am not. It's a killer. It is an emotional killer. It keeps me from seeing all the stuff, all the wonderful things that are happening to me and, and for me. You know, I, I have wonderful friends. 
They're amazing. And they have become closer. One of the best gifts I've had from transitioning is acceptance and these relationships with women that I never had before when I was pretending to be a man. Because allowing myself to be as vulnerable as I am now, I couldn't do because I was I was sure that if I let myself feel even a little bit emotional, feel things in a little bit, that I would never stop and I would end up you know, transitioning, which, of course, is true. That's what happened to me. It took about a decade, a little less than a decade, but it took a while for me to have that happen. And even when I was working to make my outsides match my insides, which is what I was saying, to, to be the person that I really wanted to. I was thinking I wanted to be the most healthy, most least toxic masculine man I could be, and that's not really what I wanted. I did not believe that the, the part of me that has made my life so wonderful, being transgender and living my authentic life, has allowed me to get all these things that I've always wanted and all this all those gifts that are given to given to me and all these skills that I'm finding that I have either uh, inherited or learned that are that it's helping me you know I I speak well I write well and I know this because I do shows and I get positive feedback from them and because I do these shows, I got another job. I'm teaching public speaking at St. John Fisher. I have no teaching history, but the dean of the school is like, I really want to get you in here. And made it so that I could teach this course. And I see that all the time. People are always doing that for me because I have something to share. The Fringe Festival. I'm I'm working on a, a video right now for the for the Fringe Festival. It's for my first show, uh, Spy in the House of Men, and I'm editing it right now to get it into the virtual Fringe because we can't go because of COVID nineteen. Obviously, we're no longer going out to the theater. Uh, hopefully, that will change sometime after the election and we get a grown up in the White House. But I am doing this i'm editing this video i can edit i can edit really well i was nominated for an emmy mostly because i can tell a story with video which is what i'm doing here i it's just i, I think about this sometimes and when i allow myself i feel really proud and happy for myself i wrote this I performed this. I shot this with myself, with one camera. I did a three-camera shoot with one camera. It took me like four nights. And now I have the ability to edit this and put it together, and I know how timing works, and I know how to make it look good, as good as it can with me as a subject, because this is the other part of it. I look at it, and I say, why the fuck does anybody want to look at me? Even though I know it's not true. And it makes it really hard for me to actually do this work. And so part of my job, part of the work that I do is getting past this, getting past the pain of dysphoria as I look at myself. And as I look at myself and I think, damn it, I want that facial feminization surgery that Amy has. And 
keeps me like I'm I know I'm talking in circles now, but it keeps me from allowing myself to rejoice for a friend. And so it's a it, that's where I am right now. And I think that's kind of like the overall theme of today's show. Since I have no feedback from anyone else, you have to listen to this, which, again, that's me denigrating myself because that's where my mind goes. So I, I'm part of what I wanted to do. It's just like just so I can speak it to the world, say these things about myself that I know from the feedback I get from other people, which sometimes is what I need to stop the itty-bitty shitty committee that lives in my head from trying to destroy myself. Because that happens. So I'm just kind of saying that I have these friends, these people who just want me to succeed because they love me and they feel that I have something important to share with the world. It, that's so so important and that's so amazing to all the, I'm, I'm going to be speaking in front of I think the American Association of Psychoanalysts they're like national freaking convention and they're having me be a plenary or a plenary speaker at this event I looked up plenary by the way and I found out it is a you know somebody who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about so I'm perfect for it uh, no, again, self-denigration. It means that I have lived in experience as opposed to learned experience, I guess, or something along those lines. I'm, a, I'm on the board of a theater company. I'm on the board uh, or the committee, steering committee for the local regional human rights campaign. They want me to be the host of the video event that they're doing in lieu of a dinner. They're asking me to do these things. I'm getting all these gifts. And I haven't even mentioned my kids. Oh my God, the kid, my kids are amazing. All of them are really amazing. They, they're my world. Really, they, quite honestly, they kept me alive for a while, like 20 years ago. And that's not an exaggeration. My world came crashing down and my default attitude is not everybody makes it and I'm not going to make it. And the only thing that kept me going were my children. I had a friend tell me every child deserves at least one sane parent and you can't be sure of the other one. So you got to do the work yourself. And so that's what kept me going. And I know it was my kids and my kids alone that kept me going because of something that is kind of tangential or to all this and something that I remembered this month. And I wrote about it on Facebook. And because my first show was basically me just taking shit I wrote on Facebook and standing in front of people and saying it. So apparently this is something that I can do. Not apparently, I know this. It's so hard for me to not do that. So here's something I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to, I've kind of altered it a little bit so that it makes sense for right now. And I'm going to end this week's Transformation Thursday with just me reading it. 
On the first full week of August this year, all week long, I kept thinking there was something I was supposed to be doing, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And then, like on Wednesday, I remembered. This is the week that I had planned on not living anymore. I made that decision someplace in late 2012, early 2013. Zoe would graduate from college this year, 2020, and she's the youngest of my kids, which means no one would be depending on me anymore. So I figured it would be safe to stop living by then. And I picked the first week in August because I didn't want to stop living around any holidays or birthdays or other memorable events. By the second week of August, Zoe would be out of school for two months and it would be like two weeks past Aunt Pat's birthday. So really relatively safe. And if I was afraid that if I moved it any further out, it would start to impinge on Labor Day and stuff like that. Now, I didn't pick an exact day because it was going to happen outside and I might need to schedule a rain date for my death. Besides, I didn't want to live any longer than I absolutely had to. But by the time of April in 2014, by the time April 2014 came around and this week was still more than six years away, I started thinking that maybe I just needed to get her through high school and I started looking at 2016. And then I started thinking, well, my dad died when I was in high school and I turned out okay. Except, of course, for the whole looking to schedule my death thing. And thank God... That turned on my bullshit alarm, which started the existential crisis that ended with me realizing that I really didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live a lie anymore. And so that's where my mind was that week, thinking about how incredibly tragic this month could have been if I hadn't decided to face my fear and live my truth. Instead, I am now living a life second to none, and I have discovered that the things I wanted out of life that I thought were out of reach to that distorted reflection of me, they're coming to me. Uh, apart from, you know, the international fame and six-figure bank account. But I do have a community and people I love who love me back, and that is far more important. Plus, yeah, you know, my tits. And then the universe, with its great sense of timing, gives me the gift of friends that gave me the gift of sharing their womanhood with me. Maybe it's coincidental, or, or maybe I've just ordered my life in a way that is more in tune with how the universe wants me to live, and this is what happens. Because it happens a lot. I have gifts. I have good friends. I have a use in the world. Thank you all for coming along with me. Amy will be back with us next week if she feels up to it. If not, I'll figure something out. I always do. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a good night.